The Spin-Off Podcast Network. You're listening to Business is Boring, a podcast that reckons it's anything but. Business is Boring is brought to you by SparkLab, offering inspiration and practical advice to help businesses find their edge. To hear more about SparkLab, including details about the latest events, workshops, and business tools, visit sparklab.co.nz. And now, here's your host, Simon Pound. You're listening to Business Is Boring, a podcast that reckons it's anything but. Business Is Boring is made by The Spin-Off with help from Callaghan Innovation, New Zealand's innovation agency. Here's your host, Simon Pound. COVID has changed the world for a lot of businesses, with one of the hardest hit sectors being tourist accommodation. New Zealand is a bit lucky we have domestic tourism as a possibility, luckier than we even realise perhaps. But it's hard out there, and today's guest knows it from running a business serving accommodation providers working across the whole globe and industry, from bed and breakfasts in Queenstown to luxury lodges in Morocco. By 28, today's guest had owned, run and sold a hotel and launched a successful property management software system for accommodation providers with customers all over the world. Fast forward a few years and CEO Amelia Gain has led her company Prino through rounds of investment and market expansion. To talk the journey, uh, what's uh, what it's taken to get to here and what's next, Amelia joins us now. Kia ora, good morning. Hi Simon. Hey, so... How did you come to be a hotel owner in <laughs> Queenstown in your 20s? I know, it was a bit by chance, but um, my sister had worked extensively overseas, a younger sister, uh, through like Europe and the UK um, in, in tourism and hospitality. And um, I had just been like studying IT, <laughs> but I'd worked for a family in Queenstown that I, that's an incredible family. And uh that my sister and I had always kind of sought to do a business together and he kind of understood that. And this hotel came up for sale. He owned the building, but um, with the business, he thought that we could take it over and run. Um, This was post-GFC, so about 2010 when luxury tourism in Queenstown was struggling a lot. So, um, yeah, it was was quite an incredible opportunity and one just kind of came by chance, I suppose. Wow, and that's kind of kind of running into a burning building in a way, isn't it? If you're in the middle of the GFC and doing luxury accommodation. It's just coming out, I suppose, but we were very uh, naive. I suppose I was 23 and my sister was 21. So I think we were just like full of ideas and optimism and stuff. So yeah, and had a lot of energy. (laughs) What does it take to run a hotel? Because anyone who's worked in HOSPO will know that, you know, when you're on, it never stops. But in a hotel, uh, you know, you, you must always have to be on. <laughs> it is a 24-hour business in a way. Um, ours was 10 rooms, like luxury uh, accommodation, but we had a restaurant and a bar as well. So kind of all facets of hospitality. But um, it is a lot of hard work. We had an incredible team that we kind of um, built um, and they had a lot of energy and ideas as well and we kind of just tried and tested stuff out in terms of guest experience and what would work and 
um, we had a lot of fun as well. <laughs> and how do you go about kind of turning around and building up a 10-room luxury business? Because it must be a very different thing than, um, you know, uh, running a big motor in or having uh, big apartments. Yeah, I, I think the foundations of um, um, accommodation tourism is still the same. Like the business model doesn't actually change that much between um, say a, a campground to a luxury hotel in my opinion but I think what we were really focused on was just making sure that every guest that came through had an incredible stay um, and yeah it's kind of what we put our passion that we put into it and how did it go for you like how did you come to then um, to sell it on um, I think we'd reached a stage um, like I think it's hard to reach economies of scale if you know what I mean because um You've got 10 rooms or 10 units, um, and for us in the luxury sector, it took a lot of staff to have to run that amount of rooms. So once you've got your occupancy to a certain level, it's um, it's then it's hard to expand. You either need to buy another hotel or build another hotel, or ex- we couldn't expand onto the building to get more inventory or units to sell. Um, and that we'd buy 20... For 25, I think, um, we did four years at the hotel. I just think we felt like it was time to move on. But a, a buyer had come to us, so it was um, it was just a, quite a good opportunity, I think, to pass it on to somebody that um, also understood luxury tourism and luxury hotels and would keep that, keep that um, quality going. And what does a day look like uh, running a hotel? Because I imagine that that this understanding of having been an accommodation uh, provider oh, yeah. <laughs> uh, must must really help you, you. You know, must have really helped you know what to do for your software business. But kind of paint a picture for us. Like, what does a day look like for someone running a hotel? Yeah, I mean, we were kind of well. I had never, I didn't even know how to make a coffee when we fit, on day one when we first took over the hotel. I think my sister was worried. <laughs> <laughs> I think she at least thought I knew how to make coffee. But um, no, so some of it was kind of learning on the fly. Um, but I think I was um, surprised just by the amount of um, just routine daily admin work that was just repetitive every day, and it was like relentless. <laughs> In terms of the back office work, like we, uh, yeah, we had a lot of like time that we wanted to spend on the front office side, like helping all the guests and and building these great experiences. But the amount of like hours having to spend in the office just doing repetitive admin was was uh, yeah, it's a, <laughs> it's a bit training, and a small team as well. So it's not like you can just like. I'll source yeah. that. <laughs> hand over the hand no. over the pain to no. someone else. Yeah, I've got a theory that the reason that New Zealand's so good at these SaaS businesses is that anyone who owns a business here does all the jobs. They do yeah. the bookkeeping. They do the accounting. They know the pain. Oh, if we were if we were fully booked, we'd be jumping into housekeeping, doing all that kind of stuff as well. It was all hands on. What's it like looking after people in the luxury end of things? Is it like? You know, are there always good customers and hard customers and easy customers, uh, mm. no matter what level you're at? Or is it more demanding and, and another level? Is luxury tourism something that's kind of, uh, w- w- you know, the high value customers are so important to New Zealand? Yeah, I think we put the pressure on ourselves around um, meeting guest expectations. I don't necessarily think it came from the guests. All our guests, the majority, were amazing in terms of just being so lovely to look after. Um, 
But I think one thing that takes a lot of time and energy is just making sure that their stay is unique. Like they stay in all these incredible properties around the world and even New Zealand as they're traveling through. And you want them to remember your stay. So that takes a lot of effort and time. Um, but the majority of the guests are so lovely and nice. Um, but I, I don't think, I've, I've done some work in, term, in terms of the not in the non-luxury sector. Um, and I, I think people go to have a nice time in these places. I don't think they, they're genuinely that rude. Any stinkers? <laughs> um, uh, I mean, I can't really remember like <laughs> exact stories, but I mean, in a hotel, there's um, there's always some like crazy things that happen, especially in Queenstown, you know. So, <laughs> yeah. and what what was the what was the thing that led you uh, on selling to then start up the software idea? Like, what were the pain points that you'd seen that you thought could be a business? Yeah, it was just, Prino kind of came out of just my own pain of doing all that back office admin and um, also having to train staff up all the time because you're, even though we had a great team, a lot of them were from overseas and seasonal, um, so you'd continually have to be training people up. So I, I quickly just like discovered that systems within our area were quite poor and um, hard to use. <laughs> and uh, so, yeah, I, I kind of... that. I started developing Prino with my friend Max, um, who I went to uni with uh, back when we had the hotel. But we were kind of just building it for um, solving my own problem at that time. We didn't have like a huge concept of selling it globally, you know. <laughs> so, and how do you go from that idea and kind of building it for yourself into turning it into a full time company? And yeah, what was the role of the Lightning Lab in there? Yeah, the Lightning Lab was really important for us. Um, run by um, Ice House and Creative HQ because like for a while we were working um, mostly full time and doing Prino like kind of around the kitchen table but um, we really had no idea around how to take a product to market um, even though we'd read a lot of books about it and things but I think yeah doing it's another thing and so um, we, we shifted up to Auckland for three months to take part in this accelerator that we got chosen to be in and that really helped us um, in terms of actually learning how to test and validate products and, um, you know, sell and market and also raise money, capital for growth as well. Um, but it's not only that, it also helped us build out like a network within this like startup ecosystem uh, and within Auckland as well. And does being selected for something like that, I don't know, is it the validation for you personally as well that you're on to... You know, you're not making fish ice cream. You're doing a, an idea that's going to have a market and be worth doing. Yeah, because sometimes when you're just working around your kitchen table, you think you're a little bit mad, maybe. <laughs> you know, so I could have just stayed in doing um, some more, like, hotel work. Um, but I couldn't stop thinking about Prino, and it kind of, yeah, it did give validation to that, I suppose, because there was only about nine, nine companies that got selected to take part. If you love the spin-off, the best way to show it is to become part of the spin-off members. This is the fund that helps us keep free and accessible to all without a paywall. It also funds some of our most important and acclaimed journalism. You can pay what you want, but for just $8 a month, you'll receive a package that includes our first book. Check it out through the spin-off. Hi, this is Toby Manhire, 
busting into your podcast to say, please come and listen to our podcast too. Our podcast is Gone By Lunchtime. I'm the host, and together with Ben Thomas and Annabelle Lee Mather, we chew over the political issues of the day. It's Gone By Lunchtime. Come and check us out. Spinoff.co.nz, Gone By Lunchtime, and it's on all the podcast platforms. You know, you know where to find them. And what was the gap, as I um, would guess, that there's quite a bit of kind of booking software for hotels and, and, and luxury providers, and there are so many different booking platforms for people to kind of uh, come in on. What was your uh, slice of the market that you were able to kind of um, get, get, get your own footing in? Yeah, so we didn't focus on the booking, like taking of the bookings or collecting of bookings. We just focused on the, the core management side, so... Um, being um, very focused, I think, was important to us. Uh, but we, there's a lot, as you say, like there's actually a lot of property management systems out there. Um, I've tried almost all of them, but uh, they're either like a lot, like quite old and legacy and complicated, or they're quite basic um, and not suitable even for some small properties if they want extra functionality around management. So. Um, I think we're just kind of in the in the middle there in terms of easy to use, but um, enough um, enough functionality to be high, like highly productive for small properties. And how did you first grow the business? Like, how did you bring on your first customers? I think your first ten customers is the hardest to get. Um, we had some incredible. Uh, incredible prop, uh, operators who kind of just saw what we were trying to do I think and took us on early um, because you always think that your product's not ready especially building such a big core tool such as a management tool they're using it eight hours a day seven days a week um, but yeah our first customer was uh, B&B and Pi here um, Wendy ran it and she's still our customer today so it's um, it's lovely yeah it must be a big jump for people to take as it's not just yet, like you say, it's such core technology. And then the difficulty for businesses isn't normally the cost of the software. It's the cost of the time that they spend learning and training and changing their systems. And mm. if they're not absolutely sure that it was uh, a good thing to do, it's a big waste of money. Like, how, yeah, how do you build that trust and how do you kind of get them, win them on? Yeah, I mean, it is a big step. Um, and I think we do face a bit of inertia from some customers because they've been using the same software for 20 years. So it's a, it's a major step. But we just make it as easy to use as possible. Like usability is a big focus of ours. Um, we give free training, so ongoing as well, um, because it only takes 30 or 40 minutes to train up on Prino as opposed to sometimes a week or so for others. Um, and then we just make sure that we give free support um, as well, um, 24-7. So we just kind of are there to help when they need it and make sure that they're comfortable before we go live as well. How did you build out the first international customers? And was that you know an exciting day to see people overseas you'd never met or known using the product? Yeah, actually most of our customers we've never visited before because we do all of our onboarding remotely even bef like we've been doing video calls for a long time, <laughs> um, but our first international customer was in Australia, so um, not too distant. <laughs> yeah. And how do you you know where, where what's the scale of the business today? In terms of customer numbers, or yeah, we've got about four hundred of about four hundred customers globally in about twenty five countries at the moment. 
Um, the majority is still in New Zealand, Australia, where a lot of our focus is. But um, yeah, we pick up customers all around the world that seem to kind of like using the product. And with that connection to people in accommodation around the world, like COVID must have hit a lot of people really hard. Like, what are you seeing? Uh, it's 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 absolutely unbelievable in terms of the impact on tourism. Um, like uh, we've seen kind of downturns and um, some resilience in the tourism industry in the past, but you can't, you couldn't have predicted going from say like 80% occupancy to zero, you know, overnight. So it's, um, yeah, it's, it's been, it's been hugely impactful, but I think we work a lot with um, small to medium properties, which a lot are owner operated, not all. Um, and, they're so like incredibly resourceful and full of ideas, and uh, um, yeah, it's, I've just been really impressed by how they've they've managed this. If I put myself in their shoes when I had my property, I am um, yeah, I don't think I I don't know, I do not have been managing as well as they do. I hope I would, but it's hard to know. And we've seen like pick up in some industries, you know, kind of coming back to a new kind of normal, even in lockdown environments, but. I imagine that the accommodation providers around the world, like, there's not much domestic tourism happening outside of New Zealand at the moment, is there? No, even, like, Australia's obviously taking a bit of a setback as well. Um, and I was talking to some properties in South Africa who have just gone back into, like, full lockdown. Um, so I think we're incredibly lucky here in New Zealand. But people are still picking up our products um, around, the, like, all around the world. So I think... We're, they're taking this time to kind of reassess systems and their businesses and looking at how they'd have to operate going forward. And a lot of those, a lot of their new business model will be like reducing as much operating costs as possible. And I think they, a lot of them see software as the way to kind of be able to do that in the future. Because is it a lot more affordable than the old legacy systems? Um it isn't it? like sometimes the legacy systems that paid a huge amount up front a long time ago and now they just pay some service fees um, whereas we're like a monthly subscription um, but we keep building onto our product as you know, every fortnight we release new features into it um, so I think they get a lot more for what they're for their subscription um, but I, I think it's in terms of the time saving that's where the real like um, um, I don't know, benefit to these properties is. They, if they can reduce the amount of uh, staff that they need at the property, um, you know, it might help, you know, keep their business going. And how did it hit you? I mean, were you surprised to see that businesses, like, you know, have, have you tracked kind of as, as you would have hoped to, or how's it hit you as a business? I mean, I'm obviously cautious because I think it's going to be a long, it's going to be quite a long recovery for the tourism industry. But... I've, um, I mean, yeah, we didn't really know <laughs> when COVID's first um, <clears throat> hit and we went into lockdown. It was, it was hard to know how the market would react to um, our software and things, but um, we've, we've given like support to existing customers that need it on a case-by-case -case basis, which um, we'll continue to try and do where we can. And then we also... Um, have been onboarding a lot of people like that have been picking up our product, um, but we might give it at like a COVID support discount or um, offer um, 
just on again like on a case by case basis depending where in the world they are just realistic about uh, what they're going through at the moment but in terms of the um, onboarding numbers they are pretty much the same as pre-covid so um, it has been surprising for us and how do you personally navigate through that as you know like a lot of people doom scrolling the news you know and not being even in hard hit industries how do you keep resilient and keep kind of pushing forward um when you are working in an industry that's so affected i think we're we're a small team and i think that's actually a benefit for us at the moment because we're able to change and adapt pretty quickly um and then we just talk to our, our customers a lot so i think that helps give us a sense of what's happening and what they're going through too and then we're continually like revising and re-strategizing and looking at our roadmap, product roadmap and things to make sure that we're we're building things as a product that's going to help them and we're working towards things that are going to benefit our industry. Um, so it's kind of a week by week at the moment <laughs> in terms of uh, changes that come around, but yeah. And it's not just customers, hey, because I saw you um, present really well at an investor showcase uh, that the Ice House put on. Mm. And it, you know, it was a mess of you know, thousands of people <laughs> in the, the Vector Arena and a real big glitzy kind of um, Oscars-style vibe to the uh, presentation kind of thing. Um, yeah, so you'd have investors on board as well uh, to, to, to be managing through this. Like, what's that like, running, running the company for both the customers, but also for, you know, there'll be a family of people who've invested in it, I um, would guess, who hadn't picked that COVID was on the way. <laughs> we're actually just closing out a new investment round, so we've got incredible support from our investors, and I think um, the resilience of our product during this time shows, like, the value that our product gives to our customers, so that's been good, but... Uh, in terms of public speaking on massive stages, it's not normal for me. <laughs> Definitely not a like normal uh, environment. But I, um, it was great to have that opportunity from um, Ice House Ventures. <laughs> <laughs> and how, how's it gone for you? Like, what 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 kind of things uh, have you had to upskill in, and what kind of things do you kind of wish you'd known earlier in charting the course of being a CEO and doing things like those big investment rounds? Yeah, I mean, I think. Uh, it's hard, like, I think, because you feel like you're just moving millimetres each day, you know, when you're in terms of progressing. Um, but it's not until you're, like, six months down the track that you look back and you're like, oh, we've come quite far. Um, but in terms of personal, um, my personal role uh, in the company, I I mean, I think I, I have good advisors and incredible board around me, and they, they, they help me grow, I think, in my role um, all the time. Um, but yeah, I just think it's just small improvements all the time, uh, whether it's just like <laughs> focusing on the, keeping focus on the right things or um, trying to manage the team better and um, yeah, just kind of communicating better to our investors and all that kind of stuff. So yeah, there's always stuff to work on. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And what advice would you have for someone who, you know, who did spot a uh, a pain point and an opportunity uh, in, in a big industry. Like, um, yeah, how? what advice would you give them? I mean, I don't know if I'm the expert to give advice, but uh, um, for me, I think I've been incredibly fortunate in terms of having my co-founder, Max, uh, Max Podolian, and um, I couldn't, we wouldn't have been able to do this if we weren't together as a peer. So I think having the right people around you <clears throat> and ask, being able to ask for help when you, when you need it as well, 
um, was, um, yeah, two important things, I think. And what will success be for you? Like, I, I guess both, both for you personally, but also for, for this company that is, um, you know, navigating some pretty rocky times. Yeah, I think my success personally is just really tied to the success of the company. Um, but I think success for my company would be if we're making like quite a big impact in um, the everyday life of a accommodation provider and that they couldn't imagine you like running their property without our software, that would be a big win, you know, that we're really adding value um, to their business, you know. That's so cool. <laughs> well, thank you so much for coming and sharing your story today of Prino. That's CEO Amelia Gain. Thanks, Simon. Thank you so much for producing Tina Tiller and thank you for having us along in your ears. If you would like to recommend someone to come on the podcast, uh, Amelia was recommended by a nice chap that I met in the line waiting at a bakery. And uh, so, yeah, hit me up on Twitter at Simon underscore pound. Cheers. You've been listening to Business is Boring, presented by Simon Pound. And brought to you by the spin-off, and Callahan Innovation. From the Spin-Off Podcast Network, that was Business is Boring, brought to you by SparkLab. Make sure you're following Business is Boring wherever you get your podcasts. And for more information on SparkLab, visit sparklab.co.nz. Ready to rediscover the joys of cycling? With over 300 kilometres of cycle paths across Tamaki Makoto, jumping on your bike and going for a ride is such a fun way to discover the city from a different perspective. Cycling is getting more and more popular across Auckland, so now's a great time to join the hype and give cycling a go. Head to at.govt forward slash cycling to find your nearest cycleway today. The Spin-Off Podcast Network.